Welcome to episode 39 of It's Server Time. Today we have Note, we have Pranogo, but special guests, we have Daps. We're going to be hearing from the Team Liquid coach about what's been going on in the space. So uh, yeah, welcome Daps. I know that you guys have a pretty busy schedule ahead of you guys because of the the World Finals, which you guys qualified for because it was kind of weird, like that that ending situation, right? Where it's like you guys could have won your match and then you could have qualified from that, but you also needed somebody. Didn't you need like NIP to lose or something in the semifinals? Nip, also... Nip had to win the whole event for us for, to for... not make it. Okay, so you had to basically like just prey on their downfall in some respects. It was so... pretty high chance we were gonna gonna make it. I don't think anyone would have beat heroic <laughs> to be honest. Okay. So, okay. okay, would Nip still have qualified over you if you guys made it to second or not? No, we were guaranteed. We guaranteed made it over OG. I think if we made second, right? Okay. Yeah, and then Nick okay. would have replaced OG's spot. I think if they won the event. Let's let's jump into uh, some some of this team talk already. Or like, I, I actually we'll start we'll start with your team. Um, we're a bit on a limited schedule here, so I'm if it feels like I'm rushing the pod, audience. That is true. That is what I'm doing. I am rushing the pod from topic to topic. So, yeah, there's the there's the bare bones of it. Uh, so, so Daps, I wanted to know, because we've talked about this on broadcast before, the fact that the way that Liquid is structured, obviously, Nitro is the in-game leader. You're the coach. But Yakindar adds a lot. I'm sure that a couple other people contribute in some respects. But I want to know kind of that trio mostly between you, Yakindar, and Nitro, like who's bringing what to the table and how is it being carried out in the server? Uh, for sure. So, I mean, when Yakinder and I joined about six, seven months ago now at this point, it's actually been a while. Uh, when Yakinder and I first joined, the Team Liquid team with Shocks, I believe, was they were like pretty much dead, I think, for the last like month or two before he decided to quit or whatever. So, when you can when when you Kinder and I came to Liquid, there wasn't really too much that they had because they weren't practicing with Shocks anymore, I believe, um, for whatever reasons, because Shocks wanted to quit or whatever. So when we came to the team, it was like a complete overhaul. Like we literally did not keep a single thing that they had prior to us joining, and since there wasn't like much of a system, it was like a collective effort. Um, definitely at the start. I mean, obviously, Kinder played with uh, Jame, and Jame is a very uh, good IGL. And I'd say Jame definitely has a good system in terms of how they run the team, as obviously they won the major. So that's something that Yakinder brought a lot from, from their team, in terms of the structure they had. And it was like similar structure, kind of, to how I ran my teams in like different ways, of course. But you know, we all came to like agreements on things that we'd all run in our past teams, and you know, I'm I'm not really going to go into like percentages of who does what, but you know, at the start of Team Liquid, it was just Merix, uh, Nitro, and I, and we'd be in the practice room for like twelve, thirteen hours a day. Um, Jeez. so yeah, it, it it's a system that's created by the three of us, and you know. That's a good thing, and we're also, you know, we're in the process of trying to get everyone else more involved in terms of, like, things that they want. But at the start, there wasn't, like, too much time. We had to kind of come to agreements on things right away and, and create, like, a, a, a basic structure. 
and you know now we're trying to uh innovate even more there is a little bit of a narrative that I've noticed, and I don't know if this is fans running away with it or what, but obviously that when you kinder first joined, there's all these interviews about how, oh, he's doing so great for us. He's really helping us. And, you know, reading between the lines, maybe some of that was like, you know, you're trying to, uh, shall we say, like, you try to big up your new edition. You're trying to make it clear that you're really welcoming him in. But I think some fans may have read super deep into that, and now they're thinking that Yakinder is responsible for everything. Uh, and conversely, obviously, in the last episode of the show, we talked about Nitro and how his rating was really low, and, you know, we had comparisons to Hooksy, which nobody ever really wants to be compared to. So I wanted to ask you about how Nitro's impact has been coming back from Valorant specifically. Like, what do you think with him under your tutelage, with obviously Yakinder now? Like, you said you didn't want to go into percentages, but what, what does Nitro's specifically bring like when in when you're behind the team really listening in on their comms and stuff like is he is he that voice you're talking of, about like in you're talking about in game or before like it could be either one match. yeah whichever you think is is uh more appropriate to this but yeah i was just i'm curious as his, I mean, his, his, his impact at this point right i'd say in terms of like you're talking about impact just in terms of like calling and like structure right yeah okay yeah so i mean in terms of out of game again like i said it's it's the three of us right that do the majority of the heavy lifting you know maybe on one map it's a little more you know yakinder has more of a voice on this map and he has more of an idea of what he wants to do on that map and it may be another map you know nitro has more ideas on that map like i'd say okay. i'd say our system is definitely like at least in the teams i used to igl on it was pretty much like 80 20 me um i'd say in this team it's definitely more of like a shared igl role to an extent like um there there's some maps where you kinder maybe we're playing like cloud nine for example or like a team that you kinder's very comfortable against and he may call more that match right and maybe there's a team that we're playing against where again like we're running the same system but maybe a person on the, like nitro is more of an idea of what he wants to call versus this team so it's sort of a to give like hard percentages it's not like as black and white as that it, it, it it's matchup dependent um in terms of like the actual calling during a match and also prep dependent too because like nitro and i will always do the prep no matter what and yakinder also does his own prep i'd say most of the time but there are some times where yakinder won't do the prep because um, he wants to focus on like making sure his individual form stays high and you know in, in those matches as well then you know, he'll have less of an idea of what he wants to do potentially. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard to like give a, a clear answer, no, but sure. that's, that's probably like the clearest I could make it. Does not having like Nitro be the primary IGL in that sense? Like, well, if it's being shared around in, in that kind of way, does that maybe, does that, do you feel like it could hinder you in the long run in terms of like having a cohesive kind of idea behind what you're doing in game? Yeah, that's that's something I brought up because it's definitely, it, at least in my experience, I've never really shared the IGLing. Yeah. To be honest, um, you know, I'd say the person I shared it the most with would have been like automatic on Gen G. Was probably like the most someone mid rounded or like in a team with me. But yeah, there there's a, there was like always some concerns with like you know, maybe we won't have, like, an, a strong identity, or maybe there could be, like, some inconsistencies, depending on, like, um, like what you just said. But it's it's not something... I'd, I, I, I'd say it's not something that's really hindered us, and 
the matches we have lost, it, it's not because of that, to be honest. Like I'd say that's that's like a logical point where that that could become an issue, but so far I, I don't think that's that's been like a negative at least. And on the inverse point, like obviously when you have different leadership styles, because I'm imagining right, Yakinder's not going to call the same kind of thing as Nitro would. And so if you do have that sort of swap off, like do you feel like that sometimes will give you a puncher's chance against an opponent who thinks they've anti-strated you, but then you come out with something that maybe they weren't prepared for or they didn't know was going to happen in that round? Like has something like that occurred where you feel like, well, we really caught them off guard because of the fact that we're sort of sharing duties with IGLing? Or is it maybe more subtle than that in terms of how impactful the change is? Um, yeah, again, I, I'd say yes, it, it, it has its advantages depending on the matchup, I'd say. Like, I think we definitely got a pretty big buff for CIS teams with Yakender joining the team, just because he obviously played versus them a lot when he was on VP and Outsider or Outsiders or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he has a lot of experience playing versus CIS teams that maybe the players on the team didn't have prior to. And I mean, the last time I played, the CIS teams looked all different. So, you know, right. I, I don't have too, too much experience versus the current CIS teams when I was playing, at least. So, um, yeah, matchup-wise, it definitely helps depending on the team. And, yeah, I, I mean, that's all I really have to say on that. And one you... of the... Oh, yeah, go for it. I was wondering if you found you've ever had to like rein your kinder in on some of these rounds or not, because obviously like he is very aggressive, but there are times where like he will bash his head into like banana in a map until it either falls apart or you guys do. So I'm wondering if there's times where you're like, okay, like we do like pull yourself back a bit if you've had to tell him that or if Nick has had to tell him that. Um, he's generally pretty good at recognizing that himself. Um, but there has been the, the odd match where I've had to pause and be like, let's just, you know, let's just let them execute. Their executes, like, just let's let them do something. Like, you know, let's not... Let the action come alive. to you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. In, in short. So there has been the odd time that's happened, but generally, you know, Kinder's a very smart player, so he, he understands yeah. if it's just not working. Yeah, what what a lot of the uh, top analysts in the space were saying about Yakinder back when he was on VP and Outsiders is that you know you you think about the way that he can morph the patterns of play. Like one of the reasons why that team is such a confusing team for most people, especially when Yakinder was still on the roster, is that like okay, you can't expect him to go super aggro CT side or T side. You don't know which one is going to be. But if you know James does a call where it's like actually pull back, like oh now you're like expecting it, but it doesn't happen. So I'm sure that's a huge asset for you guys in general because when it's working obviously that's like an op tool in your toolbox like okay yeah they're gonna start every round t side 4v5 because our you know we've got you kinder on ct side pushing you know banana or whatever and then uh conversely the same thing can obviously happen on t side but for me i just i do feel like you know it's actually beneficial if you can recognize when you're being read, obviously. And in but in that particular case, it can be so impactful because it's not like, oh, no matter what happens, we can do the same thing. It's like in this case, if he's being aggressive, we have to play completely differently. And if he's being passive, well, then that more passive play on our side where we wait for him is just gonna burn seconds off the clock. And now, you know, maybe we're at a disadvantage because of that. So I'm I'm sure just from that angle, it's like must be one of the dream pieces for for any IGL or coaches. Like you know that you can really morph any sort of round. In, and have like a, a puncher's chance in that sense, even if you're like on a low buy or something, right? Yeah, and I, I think 
I mean, Yakinder's just such a good pickup because he contrasts the rest of the players nicely, in my opinion. Like, the rest of the team isn't too aggressive, and he fits that role perfectly and makes a lot of space for everyone else to to have room. So, oh, overall, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a perfect pickup. Could you could you then elaborate on how because like for example Elijah's numbers got a lot better after Yakinder joined the roster. So what do you think that like Elijah was I'd say on the last iteration of Liquid kind of having to do some of the and a lot I mean he was doing a lot of the entry stuff in general, but now he gets to be second in more or less. And do you think that this is like a better natural fit for Elijah or does would Elijah actually want to be more aggressive or is he just like and is he just letting Yakinder do this or is this is this a good fit overall? I think it's a it's it's a very good fit just because Yakinder is the second IGL and since he's taking a lot of those initial engagements, he's able to control the tempo more himself while also like microing what he wants from people, which I think is a strength he has over John or Elige. Um, Cause I, I don't think at least like I, I didn't play with Elige really, except for like 2015, like for a little bit. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think Elige has ever really been a second IGL on a team. Um, you know, he has ideas and stuff, but it's not to the extent where like Yakinder's full microing, like things he wants as the guy entering, right? Which is super important. Um, so not only will he like micro the situation that he wants while he's entering, but he's also making a lot of space for John or Elijah, sorry. And like Elijah's best role, in my opinion, is trading, like going second. Elijah's always good for a trade. 100%. Like it's pretty rare where he's going to miss a trade kill. So Yeah. It's kind of like the perfect duo package there. Like in terms of roles, I'd say the only role where we're kind of like it's weird is because we don't have like a second lurk too much. Like it's kind of shared between like a legion nitro on some maps. Um but I mean other than that, like the roles are fit really well for like the entry pack. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess Nikinder did lurk B on Vertigo for you guys for, like, some rounds, which was always a little strange to watch, but... Um, we tried that for a bit. I mean, yeah. it, it was, like, okay, but... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have preferred watching him there when he's just such a beast at ramp, but I actually, I kind of wanted to zoom out a little bit on, because you kind of mentioned also, like, your your past, and, I mean, you, you played with Elise super briefly, but, like... I want to know. Can I chuck in one more question about yep. Elijah before we go past? I'm just wondering okay. with the with the two heroic matches you had between uh, Rio and Blast, like Elijah specifically didn't have a great performance. Is it just something about heroic style or the way that they're playing that was shutting him down, or was it just kind of him faltering in those matches? Um, I don't want to speak for him. Like that's sort of like his question to answer. Okay. Um, but. My opinion on the two heroic matches we lost. You're talking about the recent blast, right? And not the blast groups where we. Yeah, yeah, the recent blast and and then uh, Rio as well. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, I'd say Vertigo. Vertigo is like a map where I'd say we're both like. It's both our middle map or like average map. But I, I think our game plan on Vertigo is just incorrect. So, I don't think it's really necessarily a fault of Elige in that match. Um, as for the other maps, you know, that's just sort of a question for him to ask himself. I haven't got to rewatch the match yet, the last heroic match, so 
Um, I can't speak too much on it from like his point of view without uh, actually rewatching the Last Blast BO3, which I'm doing tomorrow. So. Okay. Um. So zo- so zooming out. Uh. This is kind of like what I would consider, even though you technically coached on on EG before this, and I'm not even gonna uh, get into what happened yeah i'm not i'm like i'll just i'll just say what i know and you can choose to not comment on it if you want but like more or less i know that was like an effed up situation <laughs> like because that team looked like it was just like a weird amount a weird like weird structure i think everybody has like said things in the past about eg and like their management style and what powers they give to different people and what's going to be coming around the corner, what's next for them. So I, I think that was a situation where you were set up to fail and maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true, but I'm pretty sure you were set up to fail pretty hard at EG, but for liquid, I'm sure you took some things that you learned from, from that EG experience and in general, and now you have a certain style that you brought to liquid as a coach. Um, and we were talking before the broad, or before this even this podcast about just like what you think a coach should bring. So would you want to just give us a little bit of your philosophy on what you think it takes to to be a good coach with the experience you have now on it? Sure, uh, I'd say you know I, I've read a lot of books, TED talks. I've had a lot of coaches over my career, so I've kind of just taken as much as I can from everything to try and apply it. And I mean, the truth for me is that a coach. While coaches will have like their own styles, I think it's good to apply the best style for the situation you're in personally. Like on energy with Chet, or when I was IGLing with Chet, you know, it was my system, my team before he joined, and he came in and complimented me very nicely. He did, he wasn't a coach who came in and tried to like overtake my system and force his hand and change everything. He came in and made our system better, made the players better where there's weaknesses and I think that's super important for a coach to do because I do feel like there there's some coaches who they want I don't know if they want the credit per se but they want to show that they're a good coach rather than actually being a good coach I don't know if that makes sense or if I'm explaining well, it's, it well. it's like it's it, like they want to put their stamp so much on the team that that might not yeah, even be necessarily what the team needs exactly. in terms of additions yeah yeah so it's like Personally, for me, when I joined this team, I thought I didn't know much about Yakinder. I thought, you know, it would, I'd come in and I'd be heavy on the tactic side in terms of like bringing the systems I used to create for my old teams. Um, where actually Yakinder was bringing a lot, Nitro had a lot, and then it was more of a shared workload, right? In that regard. And that way I could focus more of my efforts on, you know, everyone always said Team Liquid's mental is dog shit. Um, or the environment's dog shit. So it's like trying my best to make a good environment, which is something I did well on most of my teams. Um, so trying to make good environment, make sure everyone feels like they're you know part of a team, and where we can like grow and learn together. And you know, there's still like some mental battles we have, but you know, it's definitely from what I've been told from the previous iterations, it's definitely in a better place than what it used to be. Um, but there's still, you know, it's a work in progress still. Yeah, I wanted you, to ask a little bit did about... You get, I'll go ahead and note. Did you get to know uh, some of the players when you joined over perhaps a Starbucks coffee? 
Wow. Yeah, I actually, uh, I, I was scared of that, so I asked for Dunkin' Donuts instead. There, there. <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> no, I wanted to ask a little bit deeper about the, like, you know, the emotional status of the team, so to speak, during some of these close losses, especially. I, I've talked about, like, the narrative of Yakinder like, fixing everything for Liquid when he joined and how that's most likely quite overblown, even though he is obviously a good piece. Uh, and there's another narrative that I think at this point is very outdated, uh, but every time liquid you know starts to lose a game or something it's always like oh they're choking you know they're choke wood or whatever uh and so asking it in this way you know obviously feel free to comment or not but it seems to me like that has improved since you've joined and obviously you weren't watching over them before you were the coach so you can't necessarily speak to like you said you were only really told what it was like before but have you seen like an improvement since you've joined to the point where we're at now with how the team handles these tough losses like obviously the one at the major for example everybody knows those iconic photos taken of Elijah afterwards he's clearly heartbroken but you know that's after the game right and and maybe leading up to it the the mood was better or they still felt like they were in or like how, how would you to the degree you want to speak to it how would you what would you say to the idea that maybe that's the mood in the team can be uh, fragile during some of these really close matches yeah it's it definitely depends on the situation like i'd say our mental in the heroic game at the major was significantly worse than in the spirit game even though okay. we lost both series we were in the spirit bo3 till the end right but spirit is just a bad matchup for us like they destroy us in the scrims like we don't like playing them okay. for whatever reason um patsy's a god Patsy's mm-hmm. my sleeper pick and everything. But um yeah, in the heroic game we definitely ran into some issues and you know it's tricky during a game, right? Because you have to balance sort of like you know, people are if people are getting emotional, it's tricky because you could call the person out hard, but then you could risk like ruining the whole series potentially yes. yeah. if things go wrong. And then you can try and focus like I think a better strategy is trying to get them into the game. Like maybe call something that gets a player like more mo- or like more pumped, more confident in themselves. Trying to set them up more, um, and taking like the workload off of them. Like even like one thing in my old team. Like I obviously wasn't the greatest player in terms of individual skill, but you know if I was having like a bad game, like a ticket on Mirage, you know you know, Cirque would just op A and I would go middle or something, you know, try and like move me at a position, get me in more like easier fights, like somewhere where I can have more confidence. Um, so again, that's sort of what happened at the major, I'd say, was we should have probably beat her. Like we were, it was like what, 11-11 CT overpass and we all had like yeah. 12K. So, I mean, that was a series that we really had in our hands. Um, but we, we kind of threw it away. And then what was the other event you said? Uh, there was just like the I was talking about the spirit matchup, which you already kind of covered, right? Which is like the, oh, yeah. the very last. The, the match. mental, the mental was amazing in that series. Is there um, is there something specific, uh, whether it just be like one point or a few that uh, you can point towards as a reason the mental was worse in the heroic game than the spirit game? I think it was just, well, it was just the pressure. I feel of just our. Mental going into the major was insanely good because we had the best boot camp we'd ever had as a team. We were scrimming only tier one teams the whole time before the major and having good results versus them. All our maps felt really good. I know people like to shit on our Vertigo, but Vertigo was like the only map we didn't lose a scrim on the whole boot camp. I think we were like 
nine and zero or ten and zero or something, beating okay. good teams on it. So like, we felt good on every map. We felt the most confident we had ever been going into an event with this lineup. And I think it was just. I don't want to say it was just. I don't want to say it's because we played in front of the crowd every match, but we definitely weren't as prepared i think for the pressure or the expectation i'd say because like there was even articles saying we're expected to win the event and stuff i'm like we've (laughs) been a team for like five months so it's like i think that instant because i don't know do you know what liquid was ranked before the uh, roster changes. I probably fourth. Oh, before the roster yeah. changes. Oh, before the yeah. roster I don't know about that. That's Pretty... like with shocks. I think they were out of the top ten even. That uh, wouldn't surprise. They were, me. yeah, they were like thirteenth. Okay, fourteenth area. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it was just a mixture of like, and I don't know how long they were in that state, but it's just like, it was just definitely a combination of just like crazy expectations after making finals at EPL. And you know we didn't beat the best teams to make the finals at EPL either. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no shit talk towards Fnatic and Moe's, but you know they're newer teams as well. Yeah. Um, in that same like trying to battle to the top. So my point is, is I think we just I think the pressure got to us at, at that point, which is sort of mm-hmm. the expectations. You know we're ranked higher, and it all even though like you have experienced players on the team, it's still you know. It's still always yeah. a mental battle to deal with that expectation of like you have to perform the best. You're expected to win the tournament now, and I th- I think that was what got us. Yeah, there were a lot Rio. of uh, dark horse picks for Liquid, but there were also like you know I think there was an article on HLTV might have been an interview with Nitro himself who said something to the effect of like we're, we ex- we expect to go really far or something to that effect. Right? It's like the, the we good we, vibes, we believed right? it too. Yeah, no, but yeah. that's what I'm saying yeah, is like yeah. we truly believed it because like we had an yeah. insane boot camp, and then we come into the major and we fall flat versus Mo's. I mean that's all that's like the worst map we've ever lost. I think as a team, but we just came in flat and then. I don't want to. We definitely didn't lose confidence from that game because if you lose sixteen two, you know it's just like it's one of those days. Yeah, it's yeah. not like it's, that was just frozen, right? Or like, no, yeah, frozen was just running at you guys. Or I mean, JDC, we just, yeah. JDC also was just JDC. I think top for yeah, yeah. So, so like, just, they had a game, game and we had we had a complete off game. Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, I don't need to harp on it anymore. That that's yeah. pretty much the major. Let's. But let's let's shift then to something that's a little more positive that you may be able to provide some insight on. That's just like everybody's been seeing the the Cloud Nine matchup between you guys, where you guys have beaten them now three times in a row, Cologne once and then twice at uh, at ESL Pro League. And I mean, what what specifically about that matchup? Because people people can see Cloud Nine, people can see like I I see their weaknesses. I've been I've like gotten very public about what I don't like about watching them play, but like. They do beat a lot of good teams, but you guys seem to have their number. So, what can you shed any light on on that? Yeah, I'm not going to go into specifics, um, just because I don't want to say anything that I don't want them to fix their issues either. But there it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, they're an amazing team, and like even if we do kind of know, even if we do know how to beat them, it's still a hard game, regardless. Um, but I think definitely the addition of Yakinder helps in that matchup, as I said before. Like any CIS team we play against, like even Navi included, it's just he has so many rep. Oh. And he's out. No. He's gone. Okay. Let's, uh... We're back. Okay. 
Um, so yeah, I, I'd say for the without going into specifics, the Cloud9 matchup is just they have their comfort zones and it's a hard matchup for them versus us because if they try and go out of their comfort zones to surprise us, then they're just not playing their game that they're so used to and it will probably be more inconsistent for them. And, you know, even if they try and go out of their comfort zones to counter us in a way, then it's just, you know, we're not going to not be ready for it as well on top of that. So it's just sort of like, it's a tricky situation for them. And, you know, CS is a very matchup dependent game as well. So, and they also don't have like a very good, like their map pool is good, but they don't have a necessarily strong pick versus us. Like, they they could pick like overpass I guess but it's just not I don't know yeah I would, it's, I would it's think that would like, be the natural one for them but, but even then it's like it's still just a tough matchup yeah like map pool wise for them too they don't have like a clear cut like this is a free map win versus right right when you're in that kind of situation like you said you had a similar uh it's kind of similar for you with spirit for your own matchup like. How do you, is that something you have to work to remedy long term, or do you just kind of like say that, okay, this team is one that we're matched up poor against and there's not much we can do? Like, how, how do you work to kind of like remedy that in the long term if you have a poor matchup stylistically versus the team? I think it just comes with like your experience with as a team together. Like, we're, we're still like a fairly new team regard, regarding like me and Yakinder joining. And there's still a lot more we can add and get more comfortable with. Like, we definitely have our comfort zones as well, right? So it's like, that's where, if we have to go out of our comfort zones and focus on, like, a specific game plan for a team that maybe we're not used to running as much, then, like, certain players in the team are not going to be as comfortable because we're not going to be in those situations very often. And that's where, like, you know, even in the heroic matchup, you know, we'll have specific game plans for them because, you know, they play a certain way on some maps where you know our normal game isn't going to be as good versus them so we have to play in a different way to an extent even if it's like small changes and that will in turn put certain players in situations where they're not used to it as often and that just comes with like time and experience together which is why a team like cloud nine is so good as they've just been together for so long at this point where there's not too many teams where i think they match up poorly against and i think we're just sort of like a, an anomaly for them in terms of like a bad, specifically a bad matchup for them. Yeah. And if, you know, if they want to target that, like you were saying with the spirit example, it's like you have to reinvent stuff and maybe that reinvention like carries over to some of your other matchups and makes you match up worse against other teams. Right. So it's like exactly. This, this yeah. Then they start moving away from their normal game and then, yeah. yeah. So it's a, uh, it's tricky. Right. And that I think that's just what happens if like you said is a strength of theirs that they've been together for so long, but maybe then they become calcified in that style and if they, you know, yeah, like, that's exactly. what makes them good but also what makes them exploitable if you can get enough familiarity with it, right? Uh, that's that's a hard thing for some teams too is, you know, maybe they're at that point where they can win an event, but it's not going to be every event. You right. know, they could win it like one event a year and then get top 4 at most events, but it's like at what point do you make a roster change? At what point is it the system, not the player? Like, you know, it's it's hard to really find that extra, like, couple percent at, at some point to really put you over the edge and have, like, some sort of era or, you know, at least be making finals every event, especially with how good everyone is right now. 
Pretty so, often when we see a team reinvent themselves like that, it's usually between one of the breaks, like or like after one of the breaks. Essentially, is that kind of like is that extended period of time kind of just like I don't know? Is it like the the when you when you have to make that substantial of a change and you're coming in fresh to a, fresh into the next season of the circuit? Essentially, like is that do you find that, like that's the best time to do it in general even though like you have now like before when you, if you would do that kind of thing after a break you would have like four LAN events like within the first month and a half or something now you have like two very important events which is like blast groups and EPL usually right after the breaks like is it hard to kind of reinvent yourself and then go into those kind of tournaments straight away I definitely say the schedule is pretty dog shit like you have to either sacrifice your own mental health and like own personal life if you want to like completely reinvent yourself during the break because at most teams are probably going to do a week boot camp or like start playing a week before blast groups and you're not going to see too much crazy stuff within a week and you know a lot of teams some teams maybe scrim even less before that and they just use blast groups as like a sort of a testing period and um you know, they're fine with playing the showdown potentially. It just depends on the team. But I'd say that after the first month of next year, I'd say it actually gets easier. Like, I think there's more time to reinvent yourself after that first month of, like, kind of it being sloppy a bit. Um, but yeah, it's it depends. Like, some teams that are maybe not near the top will take an extra two weeks to practice during the player break because they have to and they want that extra edge. Like, even a team like, like, who's a partner team that's not doing so well? Like, I mean, OG, but they qualified for the world final. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I guess, like, a second question kind of tied into this is like, with the whole format for qualifying for the world final, like, do you think having these teams make, uh, like a lot of teams making changes heading into the break and then having like so many points come from the blast groups, allowing teams like OG to qualify for the world final, is that an issue as well? Not to tie in like a second question um, to this, but I'm I'm kind of wondering that at the same time. I think it's definitely an issue. I I don't think it's. I mean, the schedule for CS has always been bad. Even like when I was on Energy in 2018, like we were going to an event every week, pretty much, yeah. and you're yeah. just pretty much relying on like individual performance at a certain point because you can't really like change anything or add anything crazy you can maybe add like a strat here or there just like for a specific matchup but it's not like it's definitely not you're not gonna get the best cs like out of a player break ever with how the current schedule is like you would need like two weeks after the player breaks over for like people to truly boot camp and practice and then you have two weeks everyone's like got new shit they're all practiced up and you have like a really good event offer it so what so is how you... it should be so like with for example like the major a lot of the partner teams that we saw have success kind of fell off pretty hard like would you and and then we also had a few teams that came up that really i mean they're not partner teams in everything like um just just looking at the like the real results we had of the top eight teams like outsiders obviously not a partner team um Mao's aren't blast partners but they're esl partners furia kind of same deal cloud nine they're actually not partners with anybody uh fanatic same deal where it's just they're partners with flashpoint <laughs> yeah okay all right they're flashpoint partners that's that's going real well for is them that, is that but actually that, uh, true 
Can you even say that anymore? No, no. You, yep, I mean, you they, yeah, they are. They technically, they technically are, and uh, but it's not, not to any. There's no benefit to that. I think but the rug it, pulls already exist. happened on that one, boys. That's... Well, I guess, I guess for Daps, for the for like the big events like this, do you think that say outsiders, um, Cloud Nine to an extent, Spirit to an extent, uh, do you think some of these teams had in any way an advantage because? They weren't perf- they weren't playing at everything right before this, so they so in, in in a sense they had more time to like boot camp or practice. I think for outsiders specifically, I think they would have done well regardless. Uh, okay. Personally, I, I I just I think they have one of the best systems currently, and they have good players that are performing well. For the other teams, I, I this has been a thing that's always happened in my opinion, though. Like it happened when I was playing still too. Like we were going. Like if you're a team that's invited to everything back in like 2018, 2019, you were going to every event, and then there's teams like Ghost Gaming or like these random teams who are like they have decent players who can shoot back, and they're just sitting there for two months watching you, and then you go and play them at Pro League, and you've just came off like three months in a row traveling, going to all these events, showing e- literally every inch of your game to these teams, yeah. and you have no clue how they play, and they, even though you have better players on paper the other players aren't bad like they're there for a reason and they can shoot back and if they know every inch of your game and you have no clue about them then yeah there there isn't an inherent advantage in that for sure let's uh i want to hear actually your opinion on outsiders a little bit um because you do say that they have one of the best systems out there so first of all do you think there's a team with a better system than them better system fuck Okay, maybe maybe let's just let's just move. Let's just let's just talk about them. Why why do you think their system is so good? Because I I think the James James Calling style is one of the best in the world right now. It might be the best actually, but uh, but why why do you think that's, that's I think that's up there? I think without going into like specific strategies and stuff, it's a huge part of like their discipline that they like sort of like you see it in their like these are newer players too like these are guys who like some of them it was their first major right or yep. yes so it's like these are guys who you would not expect this level of like discipline and patience coming out of them at like this level of their career so it's like clearly um you know it's it, the coaching it, it, i'm sure dustin has a, a huge impact on like the discipline that comes from that um I've heard good things about James too, in terms of like he he gets his point across of like what he expects. So it's like their overall structure, and this is something they've been building for a long time, right? I think James been it's like five years in the making, like at least four. It, at least four is calling, yeah, or twenty. Like yeah, kicker, yeah. kicker Dust, Dustin, and and James, I think they've have been, been together been for, for quite a, a long, long, yeah. long time. So yeah. like they have like a core there, and they've been building a system for a long time and it's it's showing like its strength now and like even like people meme about the saving and stuff but saving is super important um on t side especially where like you know you see how many times like one gun can just win you the round if you put it in the right hands of somebody or you have like a plan around it um so it's like their discipline understanding when to save and like cut their losses and then focusing on like the next round is just those are like two big elements of their system that I think a lot of teams like overlook personally. I think there's a lot of teams that go for these unwinnable rounds, like two V fours and it's two V fours with 30 seconds left and like 
even three going down like i i saw around the major where outsiders went down 3v5 on ancient at like a minute 30 and they just saved instantly <laughs> and it's like yeah you, you you're it's hard it's hard enough to win around 5v5 on t side ancient let alone 3v5 <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's like they just they understand like what they're trying to accomplish and i think the discipline in like the younger players that they've instilled is is super important like to have them at that level already yeah, well, you know, the obvious joke being, James, you, you talked earlier, you didn't want to reveal any trade secret, secrets. Uh, James revealed them all recently. He obviously uh, just gets a good, oh, you know, little dance in his bed before he uh, plays a game and he's good to go, right? So, you know, that, that's I, I, uh, every other IGL just needs to adopt that. And I think we'll already be true. Yeah, so. How much are you, are you trying to adopt any of that stuff into your game? Because I did notice that, like, uh, you do like occasionally more than i saw before you do get like a hero ak on some rounds and like chuck it in your kinder or leave his hands and it you did used to do it before but like not to the not to the same amount that you do it now not that it's super often but like how are you trying to adopt like some of those aspects that you kinder trying to bring in or or anything along those lines yeah i, I wouldn't say that part's even just your kinder it's, it's sort of just like playing the percentages like one right. rifle one rifle increases your percentage of winning the round by by a lot more than people would actually think. And even like hero M4s on CT side, like you can run around the map and just like set this guy up constantly. You can just go around getting kills and then you're just like stuffing them on the other side of the map. And then the M4, it's time to rotate, reposition. You're just constantly like messing with the other team. And I think you just, I think even heroic does that. Like you, you see this more and more, where like one gun can literally just win you the round if you play it correctly, and that's like the value of saving or even forcing into those rounds at times. Even like the percentage of force buying with the Galil is huge. Yeah. Um, compared to like what people actually think, the Galil is actually a lot better of a gun than people give it credit for. Um, as long as you're like hitting the like the first shot, which most people can do at this point with how good everyone is. So we've definitely been focusing more on like the economy side of things and mm -hmm. trying to like figure out what's best for us in terms of that. Do you think there's any like I mean, I think so oftentimes like narratives go around like um, X player. Like, let's just I'll just use Navi, for example, like people say like bit is having a bad time lately and people are kind of like pinning blame on him. But how much do you think of that as like the system is failing bit now because like they don't they don't have an IGL anymore. Like I mean electronics trying but like this is it's clearly like they've lost a step right there. So like I see I why like, also took some of those positions I think. Like the old um, played in, no? Maybe like one like maybe okay. T side, maybe T side, maybe but yeah. not C C T C T he's playing most of his stuff. Yeah, yeah like, not not on CT. Yeah, so so I think like I think so often like the narrative gets really conflated with like individuals doing bad, so we blame the individual, but it's like but the calling is I think failing somebody like Bit right now really heavily. But I guess I guess do you think it's any coincidence that like the three highest ranked teams in the world right now, Arcadian led, James led, and Kerrigan led, like it just seems like they're the best three in-game leaders out there, no doubt about it. Um, Navi's ranked fourth, but they have the best player in the world, and that makes up for it in some regards. So, like, do you think? Do you think like IGL or captain or like leadership or system is the most important thing overall, or do you think how much do you think comes down to individuals versus system? Um, I mean, systems definitely huge because the system determines like kind of what the individuals can do and what they can't do. 
Um, I mean, if I was if I was to speculate on Navi specifically, like I know I know they're like one of the few teams that has like I'm pretty sure it's like all their strats printed out on every page, and then Blade will call a pause and like tell them to turn like it. James kind of like said how yeah. he thinks like that should be banned or whatever, and I actually agree with James. I think it's I don't know like if if it is like all their strats, I guess it's just like they can't remember their strats or whatever. But like I think it does remove an element kind of from like the IGL's importance. Like I, I never had that through my whole career. And like if someone did forget something, I would just tell them like, yo, yeah. okay, do this. Or I'd be like, can you please ask if you are not sure of what I'm telling you to do? And I would just tell them what to do. So I'm not too sure what like Navi's system is to be honest. It's kind of like strange to me when I see them like all turning the pages. And like Blade <laughs> only is Blade only has four pauses, right? So like what happens if you get lost in the game and then if Blade is calling a lot of stuff, it's like that like in our ancient game at the major, they used all four pauses and I'm just like I'm not going to take any more pauses like now yeah. <laughs> you just got to leave them out to dry at this point like it's also um, like really specific on those pages. Like the the one time where there's a clear enough picture of it and somebody translated it. Like some of them were very very specific grounds that were broken down. Yeah, it's not just yeah. like you know here's the default that is slightly different or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like this guy goes here at this time and throws this grenade or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, like it's we, very specific. Like we we had that at the start of the team. Like when we had everything new. Like I would print off all our strats and then we would have like the sheets like at cologne especially because we hadn't been together very long but it's at the point now where it's like if you're not remembering our shit then like you need to as an individual put more time in and yep. read the fucking pages we have before the game and like make sure you know our strats and our system at this point um yeah. so, so I, my, my opinion on that like i kind of like spitballed a bit my opinion on it is just like i i agree with jame and i think the igl's importance is like paramount and 100% it's like the system matters the most and I think the IGL in the game should be the one calling it yeah no this is going to sound weird to say because we're talking about professional teams at the highest echelon but I think it's also kind of a noob trap to do what Navi's doing because like okay for one Blade is probably an anomaly just as a coach anyway in terms of how his tactical mind so whatever you're putting on the page if you're not Navi is probably not even going to be as useful potentially but also even for Navi like and we've seen this I think is they can get lost if they don't have the ability to pause anymore they can sort of um, not really know what to do because the specific like order of which strat to call might not have been laid out or maybe that order is clearly broken or not worked or something and so you know you can script the game so to speak, which is something that Blade seems to want to do. And he was actually criticized for doing this, I think, uh, well, we assumed it was his doing, that Navi felt a little bit more scripted in the past, and now maybe he's found enough little things to, gears to turn and, and levers to pull that make it a little bit more complicated and harder to read, especially at their heyday when they won Stockholm, right? And so, you know, maybe you can argue that it can work, because we've seen it work in the past, but I just feel like if you don't have somebody who can like actually focus on on intaking all of that information, which is essentially what Boomich's role seems to have been, then I do feel like you you certainly could get very very fragile very quickly. Yeah, well, like to to defend Blade, it's he's doing the correct thing if he had to do it. Like like if I okay. joined Liquid and right. there wasn't really a strong IGL and no one really had an opinion, then like I am. 
I was an IGL my whole career. Of course, I'm going to create the whole system and bring everything I have and take things from good teams and show them everything. So it's like if Blade joined Na'Vi and there's no IGL really, no one really wants to call. I don't remember what the roster was when he first joined Na'Vi, but... It's, it was still Zeus and, and Boomich coming in to learn from Zeus or whatever, but yeah, I mean, either way, like, Boomich was yeah, often so, thought of as not a true IGL anyway, right? Yeah, and I, I don't, like, I don't, I assume Electronic's good at mid-rounding and, like, understands the game and everything, but yeah. I don't know if Electronic's, like, a am gonna build a whole system type guy yeah. and in, impart my vision on, like, everybody. Like, I don't know if he is that type of guy. So, Blade is in a scenario where like he kind of has to do it because that's what he did his whole career. Okay, I want to get your opinion actually. Okay, so you, well you just you just played Navi actually. Um so when when you play against them, does it how does this like what you're saying transpire in the server? Does does it feel like there's like a lack of system or does it feel a, a, any particular like way? Like how how different does it feel to how they played before almost? I don't know. Yeah, like I mean, they could be compared a to like point. what roster though. Well, like the like the one I Boomage. played. Yeah. Or... Oh well. Well, I guess actually, did you even play against the? I, the... No, I played Zeus Edward Navi. Oh, okay, well then, yeah. that's, ah, right. Two two different that's, that's probably. Kind of a... But yeah, just how yeah. does it feel, right? Like when you're think when you're going up against them, you said earlier, oh yeah, just don't take any pauses. Because like, so something you said, I think, I don't think it was on the pod, it was before, is that one of the things that you try to do is like make it so that the team can operate without needing that much of a coach's involvement. And that seems to be like completely opposite to Navi's philosophy, right? So like, how do you feel like you guys match up well based on that? How does it feel to to go up against them? Yeah, like, I mean, like I said before, I don't know if that's a philosophy that Navi like wants to have. I think it's just sort of the situation they're in where like they have to do it at that point. In terms of how it feels, I mean... I wasn't there for like the boombage Navi, like I well, I wasn't. Just, if you wanna, I, I was like, yeah. If you want to even just remark on the fact that when you beat him at the the Blastfall finals recently, like you guys kind of shit on them on the T side, like why do you think that was so so achievable? I don't know if it's necessarily their system. I think it's more so their environment at the moment. Like they're mm-hmm. clearly a team that's going through shit, and they're clearly making a roster change. So. I I think it's disingenuous to like judge their system based on okay. like the current team environment personally. But how about if if you don't yeah. want to judge them, how about how about judge G two? How about <laughs> that? Because you guys played them recently and you guys play and you kinder even made that statement about like it felt like they didn't do too much different. I mean like I think Nico responded in his own interview something along the lines of like, well, I think we did change some things, maybe they just didn't notice or whatever, but like like every I think G2 is one of those teams where you look at them on paper and like this is a team that almost like it almost feels like it doesn't matter what system hooks he puts together. It should just work when you have Hunter, Nico, Monacy, and yet they keep doing very poorly, I would say, like, I mean, not qualifying for the RMR. Uh, the the best thing that they ever did was like they went five zero in that black in the EPL groups or whatever. But like but like basically, what what do you think right now is hindering G two so much? Since you guys just you guys just played against them, and I would say like Vertigo, yeah, you did you did quite well against them. Uh, I, I felt like probably overall like that was a game plan thing. But then you know you had a close mirage against them too. But I mean, does it feel like this team with Hooksy at the helm is doing something's wrong? Uh, my personal opinion, 
of just like the gut feeling I have. Again, I, I don't know anything about their team in terms of sure. like the internal structure, but like the the one coach that quit or like got fired, the XT XTAS guy. Yeah, like he kinda said that he couldn't impart his vision. Like he wanted to have control pretty much is what I remember reading. And then Nico's obviously very opinionated a native, I assume. And then Hooksy is the IGL. So it's like it seems like they're a team that is lacking following one division, I feel. It it's just sort of like the feeling I get. And I don't know if that's like who's the cause of that, whether it's like Nico or Hooksy or you know, I think even they said they had troubles with like that's the reason Alexi B got cut, I think, was because there's like disagreements between like how to play between like the coach and him um and like the truth is is you just my opinion has always been if you're gonna pick up an igl you listen to the fucking igl like i don't know why the the coach on g2 before would cut alexi b for not listening to him it's like bro you fucking picked him up to be the igl Okay. Let him fucking call, bro. Like if I was I if I was Alexi B and then I get picked up and then the coach is like trying to come into my system it's like sure, try and make what I want better, but like don't fucking come and mess with my shit. Like let me fucking call, man. It's my job. So I don't know if that's actually what was happening over there. But if you're gonna pick an IGL, you let the IGL fucking call. And if you don't like how he calls, you cut him. That's how how it should be, in my opinion. Okay. Um, I'll put out a statement you don't have to even comment on. I do think that it's like we've now seen enough evidence that calling with Nico on your team is really fucking hard. But I think there's, I think it's just like a problem area for a lot of people. And you know, you don't want to if you don't want to say anything because you're his direct competitor. That's fine. But like, I, I think yeah. like at this point with Kerrigan being the one that's like, it, it's always like it's him or it's me with Nico. Uh, and that's kind of the case for the last three four years even going back to like you know the phase lineup with kerrigan and everything and even though they had some success i mean some nico lineups have had okay success with like other people um like winning some s tier tournaments here and there but like not achieving their huge goal which is like being a consistent number one and and winning a major really i think that's the biggest thing for him yeah so well, uh, listen, I just wanted to say yeah. that Nico yeah. is definitely a bit of an enigma, right? We have no real idea how much of an involvement he has. We can speculate, but I just feel like on a human level, because as you grow, like as you get older, you're getting wiser in theory. Like we all want to believe that like as reasonable people, you're not just going to assume he stays stagnant the whole way through with this. So surely after NIP make the major with Alexi B at the helm after G2 gets, you know, they cut them and then they go through past them in this very event, the fall finals. It's like, come on, man. Like you got to at some point realize there's no shot that like we made the right decision because this is yet another IGL finding success in a post Nico world, right? On a roster that doesn't have him. And it's just like, like, okay, I to be to be fair, I don't think Hooksy is going to have the same level of success, although that would be really insane if that if he like gets cut and then goes to another team and then does better than G2. That would just be I mean, like, Copenhagen Flames did do better. They did before. do better before. Like right. better before. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and do so, you feel like Go ahead. Sorry to cut you off. No, no. Do you feel like it's Nico's personality per se and like the pressure he brings to these players or do you feel like he actually wants his vision imparted I, on the team? 
I don't even think he needs like I don't even know if he necessarily has a very specific vision in terms of like an overall system. He did call for a while, but um so I mean I, I I'm sure that he has some idea of how he wants to play, but I think it's more of like the pressure that he brings and like it's like when you have Nico on your team, it feels like you have a god tier rifler, but you also kinda have to cater to him in some ways. And he's not like like for example other really top tier riflers right now like i think axile is a lot more like malleable like you could probably throw him into some situations and he's just gonna do it and nico it's kind of like if it's not the situation he wants then he doesn't really want to do it and i think he probably there's like more pushback in that regard like so i think yeah. I, yeah so it's he's probably hard to work with in that sense but like like when when alexi b said that thing before also about g2 where he's like you know the thing with nico and hunter is like you don't really need to micro them it's kind of like yeah, but like maybe sometimes you should because sometimes you have an idea about how you want the round to go. Not maybe live round, but like you do have like specific ways you want to move through a map and protocols that you want to like you go through to find consistency. But sometimes with Nico, like he will I mean, just I have, yeah. I have a yeah. take. Here we go. Yeah. Um and like there's a lot of evidence for this and just like players who are at the top and then fall off. I think it's more so being stuck in the past. And I can like like, personally, for me, when I created that energy team with, like, Ethan and Cirque and Breezy, it was very easy for me to, to bring my system, because they are all they were all inexperienced, they didn't have much of an opinion, and I could, like, mold them into what I wanted them. Whereas, if when I picked up Tarek on energy, while Tarek has benefits, because he's experienced, won a major, all that, it's harder for me to, like, get my point across to him because he won tournaments playing a certain way. Mm. So it's going to be in his instilled in his head, no matter what, that there's things that he can take away from those teams that he must do. And I think that's something that happens to a lot of players. Like, you could even say for cold, um, where, like, maybe there's a lack of innovation or a lack of change of mindset. And even, like, in the interview Nico did about our team... I think he said something along the lines of, like, we take a lot of risks, right? It's like, most of the things we do are not risky at all. They're actually planned, and there's a reason why we do all of them. So even him saying that is incorrect. Like, if you actually watched our game and, like, the things we do, everything is set. There's no, like, just random pushes we do where it's, like, completely just bullshit, like, huge gamble. Like, we take calculated risks, and there's reasons for why we do everything. That so is like the ultimate that, ego players saying, though, is like, oh, they beat us because they just did this random shit. Yeah, that is actually worked. that's that like something that he would say about like a Vega squadron. You know what I mean? Like, like if some just, team beat him yeah. in a way that is high variance, he'd be like, yeah, well, you know, obviously you play that match back or, and we win 2-0, which is what he said here. Right. So. Even if it's not high variance, he just thinks that he got yeah. shit or lucked, which yeah. is obviously yeah. not really the case. Yeah. yeah. So. I don't know, it kind of belies what you were saying, Maui, is that maybe he doesn't have a clear vision of the game in that sense, that or a vision of a system that might be imparted. Because if he can't read that, if he can't recognize that there's actually a system in place leading to these victories of a team that is playing against him, and now he has to like think about how to respond to that. Because the other thing is, it's not just an ego thing, but it also absolves you of any responsibility to adapt. Like, if I think that this guy just, you know, jumping one deeged me over a half wall like Config in that famous clip in, like, 2018 or whatever, I don't know why that came to mind, but, like, that, if that's what's gonna go into my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, that well, that wouldn't happen again, so I don't have to change anything. Like, that, that is, like, a logical con conclusion to take, so it feels like maybe, maybe there's a little bit of, like, ego self-defense here. It's like, well, I don't have to change anything. Well, I, this is all good. You, you know, we just have to play again. There, there's probably a lot of other players you could probably bring up where it's like mechanically they're still insane. Yeah. But maybe they've been lost in the like 
you could go on HLTV and probably go through like maybe there's some like tier one players that used to be tier one where they're on tier two teams now, tier three teams where it's la- not that their mechanical ability is gone. It's that you know they're winning tournaments does do something to you, yeah. and if you can't keep an open mind, then you're you're going to slowly become more closed minded because like you're going to keep thinking of the past of like yeah we won a tournament with this this is what the i've even had troubles with this too like i thought everything we did on energy was good because it's the most success i had in my career playing but mm, right there's a lot of different ways to look at the game and you can win with different environments you don't have to all be friends but even like you know there's so many variables and you have to always keep an open mind or else you're going to slowly fall into irrelevancy i feel because you're just not yeah you're just going to keep like becoming worse and worse for you it also speaks to your point though like a few of the teams that are coming into the top 10 are like teams that have a lot of younger players surrounded by someone with more experience as well who's like for example like you have heroic being led by acadian you have outsiders you also have spirit who like keep cycling in young talent and and doing well with them you have Mao's with like the three academy players. It's just like you. It it kind of really does speak to that point where you have like the malleability of the younger players uh, that can actually yeah, be exactly. Yeah. yeah, and, and I, I think that's what makes a great team. It's just like you have one vision. You have a person who can impart that vision and idea to everybody, and you have people who will listen and believe in that system. And I think that's something we have, even though we have a lot of experienced players who. You know, we do have some faults on our team and some weaknesses in our team where people have their comfort zones for obvious reasons. You know, we have players who have been playing for like over 10 years now at this point. So, of course, they're going to have comfort zones. And, you know, we're working every after every event to try and like remove those comfort zones and try and make sure that we're not falling into these like traps um, for ourselves. At at the risk of laboring the Nico point real quick, I did want to say that he actually hasn't had that much success like the six and the success that he has had, like the last tournament he won was an online event. It was the IEM New York Europe, because what are locations during lockdowns? And then before that, it was a lot of stuff with phase, maybe a little bit of success with some of the other rosters. So it's like, those are all with different IGLs, different rosters, right? That's with like Kerrigan at the helm back in like the 2017, 2018 days, right? It's like, there's a long distance. And I guess to your point, Daps, you were saying that when Tarek came in, it's like he hadn't, you know, just won the major, right? He had won the major some time ago. It wasn't that much of a gap compared to what where Nico is at now. But it's like, it's kind, maybe kind well, of similar, right? It's like he's still maybe in the past. What do you think, like, from your well, experience with that? Yeah, like, at least in that specific example, like, one of the things was, I remember arguments like Tarek, Chet, and I would have. Hmm. and you know, not every time, but a lot of the time, Tarek would bring up like Cloud9 winning the major, or like we used to play like this, we used to do that. And I remember I would literally go back and watch how they won the major, and it, like wouldn't line up with what he was saying. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> it was just okay. like that was again. Tarek was a good pickup. Like even though it, it ended up in me getting cut, obviously, it was still the correct pickup to pick him up, and it gave us the best chance to win. Or potentially win the events we had a chance to um because he is a good player and like understands you know how how to like mid round and you know the correct play in certain scenarios but the negative of picking him up was it did kind of ruin the vision of the team was because he 
even with Stanislaw, he had success with Stanislaw, right? He didn't win a tournament with me. He won a tournament with him. And regardless of if Stan was the correct pickup or not for the longevity of the team, he's going to his comforts of like, I want a major playing with Cloud9 and how we played in that system. And then I also want a tournament with Stan. So, mm. of course, in Tarek's brain, he's just like, you know, we're getting top four every event. Let's go to the comfort zone of like, mm. you know, I won with this person. He's not really thinking long term necessarily. He's just thinking sort of like what worked for him in the past. And I think that's a trap that not only him, but a lot of players fall into is, you know, it could be more in-game, out-of-game. You know, people people want to play with players they usually won stuff with generally or had success with. And then in-game, it's the same thing. You know, they want to play a certain style, a certain position. Um, and I think those are like mental gymnastics that a lot of players have to work through. And the ones who have long careers are the ones who are able to adapt and avoid those sort of like hindrances I, I i think when when you say what Tarek said didn't line up do you mean that uh like what he was saying wouldn't line up in the way teams currently play or like played at that time or do you mean what he said as to how they won rounds at the major didn't line up with what you watched when you watched the demo um it, i think the one example i remember was like i think i remember him saying like how they just defaulted every round and then i watched like some of the matches and they like didn't default at all like i think it was like a dust like the final dust two game in the major i think they like fast catted like half the rounds or some shit I, that was a long time ago so yeah i don't remember the exact arguments but it's just like Tarek. in short Tarek had the way he wanted to play i had the way i wanted to play and then chet um kind of created the system that i made and originally with me so we had like a very structured system to an extent that like helped get the most out of like Cirque and Breezy. And I think over time as like I got removed and then Chet got removed, you started to see that system disappear and it became something new. And I think that's where, you know, whatever team was before disappeared at, at a certain point. About about really quick, I didn't I didn't want to I didn't actually even want to get into this, but I think now that you brought it up so so accurately or so close to home it's just like with with breeze and cirque they're obviously not i mean breeze is doing okay actually but i don't think cirque is like showing anything similar to what you we saw of him when he was playing under you if there were like one thing that you would just say to like tweak these eg teams to like make cirque or and or breeze activate again what what would it be uh i wouldn't put it on one thing like okay well yeah the, how would you the, do it? the the difference is that when we were having we weren't like winning tier one tournaments but we were getting top for it every tier one tournament at one point um like we were pretty consistent and could win if we found like that final five percent but the final five percent was probably me killing shit but um <laughs> I'd, I'd say like the things that help them the most was you know we had a very like family environment like, I'd say, out of all the teams I've ever been in, we were, like, very close. Like, we would always have fun hanging out outside of the game. We weren't one of those teams that just ends practice and, like, leaves the room. Like, we'd always stay together, like, all the time. So, like, we had a very, very, very good environment, um, which also made everyone more relaxed. And, like, there was definitely less pressure when we'd play events. And then Chet and I also created a very good system for the team where, you know it just like was structured and everyone knew what everyone was doing 
and you know we had some communication issues but other than that it was just overall a very good system and team environment which i think helped everyone in the team play very well and not even just very well but we were very consistent i feel um but again we we were missing that like extra five percent to actually like win events consistently okay um how about we get into so i'm sure you've taken a little bit of a look at these things so we can talk about some other changes that have been happening we so obviously the recent update moved in anubis it it changed the a1s it changed the op a little bit uh Actually, I want to kind of start from something I don't think is that important, but I would actually want to hear if you have a differing take on it, is the op, the five bullets. Like, is this is this going to matter? Uh, It's going to matter a little bit, but like, I, I don't think it's... Like one round a half, maybe, it'll matter? or if Or you think even less than that? I think it's more so for, like... I think the biggest negative is now, like, it's info that the op has to give to reload... Okay. It's something that I haven't thought about it too deeply, but I think that's one thing that comes to mind just off the top of my head is, you know, if you're like window on Mirage and you like take a few pot shots or like whatever, you have to reload now. And now it's like you're reloading outside window. They know where you are rather than if you just like could reposition instantly. Like, you, I think that's potentially. Oh, like, also you I, have to you have to have the gun out. So you would you'd move slower between rotations, I would assume. That's like, yeah. that's slightly uh, okay. I don't think it's like a huge deal though. Like, there's not too many scenarios where I think an opera is gonna miss five shots and then like have to reload. And you like, yeah. like hopefully they hit like two out of five and like get the kills they need to, anyways. Yeah. So okay. okay, let's move on from that one then. So, uh, so you you said before this that uh, before we started this recording that you take you've taken a look at Anubis. How do you think this is uh, gonna play out, or like what kind of opinions do you have on the map right now? I think it's a. Uh... I think it's a unique map. I think it's pretty good. It's uh, I, I've I've d- been doing some flyovers of it today, and it's kind of like that sort of A. So I think it's A. Let me see. Yeah, I think it's like towards the A middle, like that water area. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is sort of like a point of contention for the CTs potentially, but it's so tricky of a map because like mid's gonna get stuffed every round, like on the bridge, and then. B will get stuffed every round. So CTs are going to have to like flash check a lot, I think, and just like try and like contest things. Cause I, I think it's wrong if you are the CTs on the map and you just play passive personally. Yep. I think it's like way too easy to execute on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We can just okay, start it up again. If you want to count them in. Yeah. No, we're, we're just good. You were saying, oh, okay. uh, so you were saying it's really hard to flash X. Ex- are you going to have to like flash check it, stuff? You don't want to be passive on the CT side. Well, because I watched, uh, there's two Anubis matches on HLTV. Yeah. I watched the ATK MIBR. I didn't really learn too much. And then I watched the Webster's uh, Sandgall game, I think was the second one. And that Webster team was just sort of doing like a 1 1 3 constantly. Yeah. Like they're doing like one one bridge, one outside B, I think it is, and then they're doing like the box guy would run up and like Molly that E box and like try and take control of that area. So I think you're gonna see CTs like contesting that like outside A area a lot more. Like when the map finds like sort of a meta, in my opinion. 
but it's just tricky because like new maps are you're gonna see like a lot of sloppy games where like some team oh, yeah. has some new shit and like no one has any protocols for it and then it's you're just gonna lose because like you have no clue how to react to it and then eventually like when the meta gets created then you'll see like some cleaner games but yeah that's like preliminarily that's kind of how i see the map being played it's just like cts or t's are probably gonna try and contest what that webster team is contesting is like trying to like pressure like b splits and then you can just like work into something mid-round like go mid like up the bridge later you can even boost into that bridge too so yeah so showed in the show match although it took him like five times and by the time it was done the whole round was over but you know yeah there is actually a similar so like for people who don't know there was this humorous big tweet where when dust two was taken out and they're off with the op was nerfed there's i think it was tabson who's like what the fuck we suck now or something uh this will destroy us something like that um what people probably don't remember is that there was this blast or maybe it wasn't blast i think it was, it was some some um betway battle of betway thing that i think, i, I yeah, casted you, that yeah, with gobby i was gonna Brett. say pretty yeah. sure maui was involved in that and anubis was played and uh, nip 16 fordham or something so i think that yeah. was also in the back of his mind he was like we had no idea what exactly what daps was saying like yeah. if you if you know anything and the other team doesn't know that then they're so hard to adapt on the fly for like a brand new map right and that's going to be one of the most uh eye-catching things about watching it so and to your point also about mid i think that beacon area that looks out into the water uh from the yeah. like behind the drop so to speak is a that that is basically going to be like mirage mid window. You're just going to smoke it every round as a T because you need to take that control in the first place. And I think you've already seen teams start to do that, even on the two matches that have already been played. Right. So, yeah. so for like quick, quick take opinions on the map. Um, do you, where, where do you, where do you think this map will rank like later on? I just want to hear your prediction on this. Like, I mean, I don't know what you think the worst maps are, but like a lot of us just say vertigo and ancient right now. Do you think it's better than those two? In terms of creativity, of course. I mean, Ancient's a map where you can't really do too much anymore, per- personally. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. maybe there's, maybe I'm wrong and some genius person creates some crazy shit on Ancient, but I just don't really see Ancient being innovated too much. Like, and Vertigo, I mean, Vertigo's just an awful map. Yeah. Just <laughs> okay. an awful map. Okay, okay. Yeah, agreed. Oh wait, oh no, you're muted. No, you're muted. Are you are you actually glad that uh I'm going to guess that you're not happy that Dust2 got removed then uh, out of those 3 for this map then? I mean, Vertigo should be removed over Dust2, but I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm I think Dust2 is also a very boring map and like yeah. pretty stale as well. So I mean, I don't think Dust2 is a bad removal. I just think they should have removed two maps at the same time personally. Yes. Like, my yes. man. Like let's like blow it up a little bit here. Like especially like when a... you have a break to, for for people to actually put time in. Yeah. Yeah. It'd also, be really maybe, cool maybe, to see. You know what 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 probably would have happened if there was a second map removed is probably Abu Dhabi doesn't play on that patch because it's such a short note. I was surprised they even played on it. Like despite the I fact mean yeah that, I don't know why they're pl- I don't even know yeah. why they're playing on it now. Like it's well, just like, yeah. 
It doesn't I even. Think, make I mean, sense. I guess it's, it doesn't. It's good sense. for heroic, but it <laughs> yeah, fucks I, a I, lot of other teams. It also probably helps their viewership though, because since it's I'm the last sure. one of the yeah, year, yeah, people yeah. are going to be like, "Oh, we want to see what the new patch looks like. Want to see what the new map looks like." Like, I'm sure it'll draw more viewers as well in general. Just, it doesn't make any I, sense. I it's the fall final. It's I mean the world final. It's like at the end of the segment of the whole season. It's like, dude, look, check it out. We're coming. We're coming to a close with the whole year, right? The last big event in the calendar. By the way, it's a completely different meta. Yeah. Like, so okay, I. I I did think that too initially, but like at the same time, if this patch had been released in the middle of the year or like three months ago, it would like it's not like we would just be like, nope, this was how the year was. We have to play out like with the rest of the original patch, right? Like it's just yes, it's at the end, but even then, like it's well, the difference is three months. The difference is, I guess, but like teams are still, but teams are still scrimming with the new M4. They're still scrimming. Like it it doesn't make sense. uh, I think there should have been compromise. Personally, I think they should have done new patch, but kept us two as a map. Yeah, that would have been what I would have done. Yeah, that would have been okay. Like interesting. Yeah, it doesn't make like for viewership. Sure, like having Anubis in the tournament will definitely those those matches will draw a lot of viewers for like the first like tier one Anubis mm-hmm. games, but yes. outside of that, in terms of like the competitive integrity of the event, it's like some teams will gain a lot from dust two being removed and some will not, some will, it's a huge negative for them yeah. is like, I mean, big's not at the world final, but like there's teams where that rely on dust two to some extent. And those teams get completely fucked. Whereas like heroic, their perma band just got removed. So like they're fucking chilling right now. And they just won an event. So like they're, in a yeah. good spot for this event. They could just ban sure. Anubis. They could just ban exactly, Anubis throughout the yeah. whole thing, and they're going to be they fine. They have all their maps. Like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then they could even fuck. They could even sneakily play Anubis, and then just like, like Kadian <laughs> likes to do that shit in vetoes. Like yeah. he's picked his perma ban versus me before when I was playing. So like, for all you know, they're just going to secretly prep Anubis for like one match, and then just fuck a team. So it just gives like heroic a huge advantage in terms of like veto at least. I will okay, say it'll wait. be nice to see Anubis at an event like this and not one where you have like, I don't know, a top 30 team like picking it into a top five yeah, team. Right. It's just like I, I hate seeing like top teams float maps that they haven't played against like very big underdogs. Oh, yeah. So it'll be nice to see like a little bit more even ground on list. Every team falls into that trap at some yeah. point. Okay, I want to the, the one other change that I think is probably i think most of us are like as fans of of watching are relieved is that the a1s got got nerfed and i've already started being i've already started seeing some stuff like from just like the lower tier games that are played or whatever like or just even watching people's streams that people are switching to the a4 a bit more because the a1s is just like you can't just like at range body shot too much and also like at really long ranges you can't even headshot body shot you have to like headshot double tap their body or something like yeah. that which is really interesting but like i mean i guess you haven't you guys haven't scrimmed or i don't, I don't know what you've seen about the a1s daps but like uh um, no, we've been scrimming on like okay. the new patch the whole time like okay gotcha we weren't scrimming anyone on the old, old it's kind of like we're limit testing because we're scrimming yeah. on the shitty a1 and then we go get the good a1 <laughs> in the match so it's actually not bad but my opinion is that I don't think it's as big of a nerf as people think. Like, if you really think about the layout of a lot of maps, like, those super long ranges are pretty rare. And then the, like, medium ranges, like, on Mirage, there's a lot of, like, those medium to long range fights where, like, it will take one extra bullet body shot. But, like, most tier one pros are headshot, insta body shot. And mm-hmm. 
I think it's still two bullets kill in that scenario for like the mid range. Most ranges, yeah. To mid range to slightly long range, it's still dink insta kill. So I mean, and you can still spam through smokes with no tracers, you know, which yeah. is like huge. And it's cheaper, like, and you need a you know the cheaper, economy exactly. angle is so yeah. big for CTs if they want to string together a bunch of rounds. If, they if the A four went to same price as A one, then you'd see A four being used. Yep. Like fifty, I'd say it would probably be like fifty fifty, but since the price difference, uh, I think it's still going to be like eighty ninety percent A one. I don't like think it'll it, be 80-90. After, really? after playing with the A4 a little bit, I don't think that it's going to be 80-90. I, would, I, I still think the A1 will be favored in general, but I would put it closer to, like, I don't know, 65-35. Really? I, I, just think, it... I think that the A4 does have its usage. The, the economy part does suck. Yeah. I think that is probably the biggest factor for me in terms of, like, uh, which one will be used more. But I think that we are going to see, like, a like a good i think it'll be like more based around positions now than it has before like it is now there is actually a choice to be made whereas like before it was always a1s like regardless it didn't make any sense to do anything else now i can see like certain spots and certain like maps like giving the a4 a slight edge um like on anubis even i would see like i think we'll see a little bit more a4 usage than a1s actually I, well, I, mean, I started looking at some of the some of the tournament stats for like the tier like some of these tier two whatever tier three circuits that are running right now. It's actually pretty close in terms of use rate. Like the A1S is still being used more, but for example, like this um I have no idea what this tournament is, but Epic G O C L season two. Okay. A the silencer is getting fourteen percent of the kills, whereas the A4 is getting ten percent of the kills. So it's like it's pretty close, actually, now. But, I mean, again, these are these are teams that we don't know if they're going to be indicative of the, what's the coming meta. But I think I think it's going to be a little closer than... The, it's definitely not going to be 90-10. I'll, I'll just say that. Like, I think it's going to be, like, if I had to guess 75-25. But 70-30. Yeah, potentially. But it's just... It's one of those things where the second a, the whole Tier 2, Tier 3 scene seems like a Tier 1 pro get an ace with the A1 again. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's instantly just like copy his crosshair he, grab he, his yeah, like well people are like seeing that people are using the a4 because like it has some benefits now yeah. over the a1 but the a1 still if you really go through like a pro con list yeah. like the a1 wins economy mid-range it's still really good regardless of, like the damage drop off so like it i think time to kill is still quicker no like it would still be quicker if you dink insta shot Probably well, against the even... shot is better with the A4 just because of yeah, fire rate. Fire rate, technically. Yeah. But like but you're the, talking about but the accuracy of the A1, and then also being able to spam through smokes. Yeah, the thing is that yeah, lower yeah. tiers, I think you there's don't more see... pros for the yeah. A1 still. Lower tiers, you don't see as many smokes. You don't see as much utility, or like you know, if you do, it maybe it's played around very differently or whatever. Whereas at the uppermost echelon, like one thing we didn't cover on the op nerf because it seems like not really that impactful. You're gonna not see anybody spamming ops, you know, through walls or whatever, and as a ridiculous prediction, I will say the decoy will become bought a lot more because uh, by offers, because then you can throw the decoy and they're like, oh, he shot twice. Get him. And then, nope, I have all five, baby. So that's going to happen. I, I, I agree with note. I think it's going to be more like a s positional thing. Like you'll see like probably hut nuke or like yeah. pit inferno, maybe like these spots getting like using a four more, but I just like even on Mirage, like I don't see a Connor Cat player using an A4 like at all. 
Like, yeah. there's so many, like, there's so many positions where, like, the A1 just dominates yeah. based I on, think... like, the situations they'll be put in. The other thing is that I think just because we haven't seen the A4 used for so long, I do think people are underrating the multi-kill potential of it a little bit, just based on yeah, the fire more, rate and 30 bullets. bullets. Like, yeah. people kind of do forget, like, how, how, like, yes, the A1S has a better, has a tighter spray, it has, like, um, it has a silencer and everything, but, like, the A4 does still have its advantages, just the A1 was so good for so long that it's kind of like, I don't know, I feel like people are almost a little jaded as to, like, just ha- like they they almost put the a4 much worse than it is in reality whereas like yes the a1's still better but i think we will see like a, a little bit more of like a choice for for some teams than i mean what I, what i said can work the other way too just a tier one pro is a sick round with the a4 and <laughs> yeah exactly using the a4 for a bit i think it'll be bit i think my call is gonna be bit bit gets a good a4 round and then everyone's back so it could be you know what I would like? Uh, I would like this yeah. this change to result in another change in like maybe a month or three or ten because Valve. And I would like it to be that they remove randomness from the first bullet because that is ridiculous. The fact that there's well, it's it's for all bullets, but at a range, you, there is a random spread that's like hard built into the into the guns. And if for some reason it's still in the game, even though this is a competitive shooter and it's about skill and not randomness. But the fact that the A1S is now going to require more headshots at range to kill people or more shots in general, even if you hit the first headshot, it now becomes more uh, appropriate to aim for the body because the odds of you hitting the head on like, obviously this doesn't matter anymore because it was removed, but Dust 2A long is everybody's favorite angle for this. It's like if you're sitting behind the barrels on Dust 2A long and you're shooting down towards the, the ramp, the pit, it's like, Okay, I, I'm gonna just miss this guy because some you know random number generator decided to give me the the bad outcome versus the good one. I hope that that gets exposed somehow by doing the tapping dance that people will do instead of spraying at range with the A1S now, and hopefully that means that we will actually see that removed. But I'm I wouldn't hold my breath on that. I guess I I do have a question for you guys in that do you think we'll see more A4 more A4 usage or more A1S usage for players who are like slightly more aggressive on CT? Like so, for example, like the like whoever's getting flashed into banana, like if Rain's getting flashed into banana on CT or whoever plays close A ramp, like do you think we'll see some of these positions pick up the A4 more, or do you think it'll be more A1S? I feel like it could be. Uh, I mean, think about it like it takes up less. Uh, something that people don't really think about is a silencer sticks out super heavily. So, like, at the professional level, this does matter where you're almost giving them a quick tell when you're turning a corner, like just a little bit more sometimes because the silencer will stick out. So, that's something that's probably an underrated and maybe not super impactful change. But if the A4 is picked up, you can go into more spots again. Like, suddenly you can be in places that people just haven't been going to because of the fact that they, their gun sticks out, right? So that could be a big deal. Playing in smokes could now be a little bit easier too because of that. So yeah, I mean, I think for the Inferno side angle, it's definitely something that you could do just because you can spray for longer or you can maybe hold for, for more shots and stuff. I think you're going to still see people that are aggressive use the A1S. Like outside yard on nuke is just like sometimes so yeah. like, because you're going to just do those smoke fights. So I guess it depends. It's it's not, I, would, I wouldn't even characterize it just position, uh, aggressive to passive it would be more like position to position so yeah uh, yeah Uh, it's like the maps that are close range and have a lot of smoke like i still think inferno is mainly a1 personally like yeah not you're not gonna see too many tier one pros with an a4 like full spam a smoke with an a4 and like their bullet trade like they're instantly gonna die die. to a good player Mm -hmm. whereas like an a1 like it's very strong 
to, oh, like, it's also, even yeah. if that little damage drop off doesn't matter at all, like you're you're just able to do so much more. I feel with the A one, and like in terms of the hiding and corners thing, I mean it's not there's not too many spots where like a, a tier one pro would be like caught off by that. Like, yeah, most, I think that's a little less good of a factor. There's like no where the gun sticks out and where it doesn't. Like yeah. Anubis, maybe not. Anubis, you'll probably see it happen. But oh yeah, yeah, because it's a new one, they're still figuring it out. <laughs> well, the other thing yeah. too is that like. Uh, the A1S is clearly the better gun if, as long as it's still like on par with the A4, it's clearly the better gun for arena games just because you can't hear nearly as well, right? So like if in the studio, I, maybe it doesn't matter as much, but in the arena, like sometimes it really will take a long time before people figure out where they're being shot from. So. Every every arena tournament I see now, playoffs, like there's there's at least one moment where an A1S gets like two extra kills it shouldn't otherwise yeah. because of sound. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Valve should just make them cost the same. Like they're, I'd say they're both pretty much equal at this point in terms of value. If the A4 is the same price, like I'd say it's pretty fifty-fifty. If the A4 goes twenty-nine hundred, well, it's actually a situational thing. Like if your position is something that benefits from the A4 over the A1S, then you're going to want that. But you can't buy them in the same game, you know. And also, there are different prices. So the the thing is, though, is right. Do do you think Valve are trying to make it 50-50, though? That's the thing. Like, everyone talks be. about it. Well, the thing, like, everyone talks about, like, trying to make it as 50-50 as possible. But maybe that's not what Valve wants to do. Like, it makes sense for if us. That's not the sense, case, then? Like, okay, but yeah. if that's the case, then let us buy both of them. Like, Ex- yeah, exactly. That's the, it's, it's, it's illogical. Like, if you're trying thing. to make one situational, then how the fuck am I going to, like switch it for certain <laughs> situations and it doesn't make any sense just like if you're only letting us pick one m4 in the loadout then you have to make it 50 50 because it doesn't just doesn't make any sense the problem is that it's least. like hard-coded into a game in the way that they might not be able to do that just the way yeah. the slots or something the game Which is set up but yeah i agree with you stupid, for sure yeah, yeah I, I agree with that point though like for sure <laughs> yeah like i'm okay with it being like not 50 50 but then let us buy every gun in the game. Like, fuck the loadout bullshit. Just let us select any gun during a match. And Just disconnect from the server every time you die and swap to the other <laughs> import. <So stupid>. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that's yeah. going to start happening. Uh, just because we don't have, like, a ton of time left before Daps has to go, I think we should move into the Patreon question. I think that'll... Yeah, I think we, I think we actually probably need to move into that at this point. And then... Um, We'll probably just close it out there, actually. So this is actually one that I actually would be curious for uh, for Daps because uh, I'll say okay. So first, Sock has asked, "What do you think will be the highest and lowest performing rifler spots stat wise on Anubis?" I think this is like a really hard question, given that we have basically no data to work with other than our own experiences and the couple games we've seen on HLTV, like CT side. Yeah, I, I think I think CT both side. sides. Or yeah, okay, okay if, you, if you actually have an opinion on either, then I'm sure that this Patreon question would uh, appreciate that. Lowest performing, I mean, CT side probably the A anchor. I'd assume. I mean, yeah, Not you don't really have a lot of options. Get utility yeah. out all the time. Yeah, that's the guy's probably going to be like jiggling with his smoke half the time, and then smoking when he gets contact, and then he's just like stuck trying to hold versus and execute. It's probably what's going to happen to him a lot. Um, the people who are like able to rotate, yeah, the people who are able to rotate will have better stats, and I think the people at B have more freedom. But yeah, I'd say A, a anchor would probably be the worst rifle spot as a CT, and then T side, it's 
it's pretty hard to say. I mean, yeah, you, it depends on the style. There's too many variables to really give an answer for the T side one. The T the side one's tough because I don't think we've really established what like what well yeah. what do you think is like proper like the most important map control? I feel like it's mid. I think mid, mid is water. really important, like bridge, yeah, bridge area. Door. Yeah. So so that that's going to be pretty contested. But I also don't know if it's going to be like a really uh, a great fight all the time because it's just gonna it might just be a utility battle. I don't know if people are going to be like charging into that shit a lot. Like it's more like wait out utility, see what happens, and then kind of like people are going to feel things out. So. Um, yeah, I mean, if the yeah. T's are like, I'm on the map right now. Like, if the T's are trying to like prevent any map control from the CTs, and it's probably going to be like one, one, three starts most of the time, and like you're going to see, yeah, because like the tie, the spawn, like I tested the spawns on like the T B guy, and the the T T has an advantage at the B main area for sure. Like they they get there way before the CTs do, yep. so the CTs would have to flash peek to have any chance there. And there's so many angles too, where it's like you can just anti flash and just kill the guy if he peeks out. So it's like the T's pretty much have instant B main control if you want to call it B main, and then the bridge will just be contested by utility. Like it's just gonna get stuffed both sides every round most likely. And then towards A, that's where like the map control is. So yeah, it's it's gonna be like. The T's are going to go for underneath the bridge control, whatever you want to call it, like the water area. And then An hour. they're probably going to, yeah, they're probably going to like flash a main off at the start. And that's like mm -hmm. going to be like, that's probably going to be like the default you see the at the beginning of the map. And then it'll, it'll evolve after that for sure. Okay. Feels like Any, to me, this might yeah. be a, another map that uh, just like ancient where the bomb sites should be swapped. I okay. I was about to oh, say names, that same thing. Names, yes, yeah, please. Yeah, I think even while you were talking about too. it now, I was like one one three just makes it like it, automatically. It just makes it seem like that that should be the A site, regardless. Yeah, but yeah, even when yeah, I played yeah. it, I like it confused me because I was like, oh, like going into A site, this feels like it's a B site, and going into B site feels like it's A site. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. also with like we yeah, just with, go left or right from yeah. the T perspective. Yeah. Also, like with the with the long position outside of the B site, and also the fact yeah. that there's like a little bit more avenues into it, and the even the site has like longer sight lines. Uh, with the when you like come into the site and you're yes. looking towards CT spawn, yeah. so it's just like it's for me that yeah the the B site feels or the A site feels almost like a little more closed off, even though the the actual B site right now is like technical a little bit smaller. The A site just feels like it's like yes, there's large. It it feels wider in terms of like uh, atmosphere, I guess, but it it still feels like slightly more closed off because it's more like there's not as many like uh, entrances or yeah. Kind of, well, there, there's there's like if you take mid control, you kind of have like three entrances to yes. to B, but if you have normally, you're kind of a lot of just like two entrances to so B. Usually, that's like it's usually the opposite. Where like A gets one, A gets two entrances, B gets uh, yeah. yeah but this, this I mean, is actually like yeah. what i was going to say when you were talking about like getting mid controls i think it will be like probably one of the most important fights on the map because otherwise you kind of are really restricted into your entrances for like both bomb sites really like i agree with that to a point but like to be honest the cts are stuck around, around like the cts are going to have to find ways to like push and take like that water control and push yeah. and take b main like very forward mid smoke or something because right? like if you're playing a tier one team and you don't contest any of this shit they're just going to exec on your site and like bait your utility out and you're fucked and there's like yeah. so many lurk spots too like it's a pretty t-sided map i'd say personally like a lot of these fights cts are gonna have to 
going to have to take. They're going to have to, like, pretty much execute or, like, get a lucky timing to, like, take control of these areas. Because there's so many angles. Like, mm -hmm. the T's yeah, can put a, a lurker in any corner. And, like, you have to account for so much when you're a CT pushing on this map. And yeah. it's, like, pretty risky, too. Like, they could just literally counter you till you... You could, like, use two smokes to, like, take this water area, and they just molly a main, and then, like, you're burning a third smoke to even, like, contest it and fight, and then they just anti-flash kill you. So mm. then, like, a lot of teams are gonna probably going to have to turtle on sites at the start, because they're not going to have all those options, and then it's just up to, like... Like, I think the CT's advantage is there's a lot of, like, one-ways you can do. Like, you get uh, yeah, one-way, like, the whole... Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of elevation on the map, so, like... Mo I think the way the map's going to be played is like CTs are going to save smokes on site and just like play around the smokes with like one ways and that's probably what will happen at the start. Yeah, Cause... probably at the beginning until people start developing their like CT aggro playbook. Like yeah. there's one ways you can do middle on CT side. There's tons of one ways you can do it B, even at A as well. Like there's so many places you can throw like a smoke underneath and just peek over it. So yeah. it's it's gonna be interesting to see how like T's deal with that, but and it's, it's gonna, gonna yeah, it, it's hard to say though. It's it's new map. I just like that there's so much more. Like just from playing it, there's just so much more you can do than you can do on like an ancient. It's, it's yeah. just like to me, this map is just gonna be enjoyable to play, and it's gonna be enjoyable to watch way more than either like either ancient or Vertigo. Like already, yeah. Like it, it's already in my good better. books. Yeah, I think the rotations are better than Vertigo already. Um... Yeah, I, I guess like, aggroing is like the one thing where ancient's like okay actually for CT aggro, but like it kind of just feels like you're in the open a lot, like yes. mid or some shit. It's just like all right, like it's not. It doesn't feel that unique. I also okay. just like the fights on the map, like the the actual oh, yeah. duels on the map oh. just feel different and original. Like it, I it's love not... fighting on A. It feels so sick. It just is so. It's so unique. It's yeah. just really yeah. Yeah, um, B B fights too are pretty good too. Actually, like just mm -hmm. around all those pillars and broken walls and B stuff. B is the best for clutches, and A I think is just the best for site takes in general. Although A has some clutch potential, but you know I think Bs are just like maybe Ts are just finishing B more often, so that's why I see more clutches. But that just seems really cool. So yeah, yeah. I think layout wise, the map is a lot better than like Dust Two Vertigo Ancient, but mm -hmm. I think there's too much elevation. Like I think they're gonna have to like pull back on some of this personally yeah like just make the levels too many just consistent. like one ways and things and like weird angles and again yeah. that could be like a benefit of the map too it's we'll like to see, yeah. there's always give or take like maybe they want it to be like that and it's just kind of unique in itself and the t's have to account for like a million one-way possibilities but <laughs> I think that's okay, given the fact that it's right now hard to envision all the ways that CTs are going to get to be aggressive. So, like, they need a lot of defensive options in these sites if if they can't, like, easily... Like, I don't know how the, the CTs right now are going to push out of, like, A main into, yeah. like, the boat area. Like, it seems kind of hard. So, unless unless I'm, like... You know, I, I know someone's going to come up with some, like, utility way to do it. Like, that's going to be really clean. But, like, as it stands right now, it seems, like, really, like, intense to try to, like left eye peak all the way to get boat space like that's just hard that's just really hard to imagine um actually right now okay really quick we usually do shout outs at the end apps but we have like a few minutes before you have to go actually i want to know really quickly you don't even have to explain this too much like what's your map ranking right now like if if you had to go one through seven in terms of like what i think the best maps are yeah just best um, like, however you want to grade it 
I mean, I love Overpass. I've always loved Overpass. I put Overpass number one. Okay. Um, probably Mirage number two. I mean, people say it's boring, but there's still like so much you can do on Mirage. And like, if you truly understand like how the map plays, like, there's so many possibilities in my opinion. Still, um, I'd probably put Anubis three. Okay. Wow. Just because I just because it's new and like yeah. I think I there's a lot that. of possibilities on it. So I, yeah, those are like my top three, and then like I'll put Inferno number four. I mean, Inferno again is not like too crazy, but it's just it's always a good match. Really clean. personally, yeah, it's like a scrappy match. It's always close most of the time. Um, Vertigo's yeah. last, and then it's Ancient and Nuke. Nuke. Nuke's kind of boring nuke too, honestly. Really, you don't like Nuke? Wow. Well, I mean, you guys don't play it, so I get it. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> no, but even if we did play it, it's like it's a pretty like strat in the hat type map T side. I don't think. I guess like the the only thing that really changed <laughs> yeah, when like I, I the only thing yeah. that I that changed when I played Nuke compared to now is like the upper executes are more annoying to play against, pretty much. But other than yeah. that, like the smoke walls are the same. Like protocols for going lower are pretty similar. Uh, there's not like too much on it, but I'd still put Nuke above Ancient. Like Vertigo Ancient yeah. would be my bottom two in terms of just okay. the quality of the map personally. Yeah. Okay. That's a that's that's a good place to wrap this up. So usually at the end of these shows we just do like brief shout outs. So I'll give you a okay. second to think about yours and I'll pick somebody else to to do theirs first. So let's do Pernogo, what's your what's your shout out for the week or for the show? My shout out for the show is uh nitro for immediately coming back after we talked about how he was kind of similar in rating to hooksy and then as in blast fall finals he obviously got that uh, immortalized triple kill or was it it was actually four 4k on the mirage b site uh and that was to help liquid pull through against whoever they were facing and i already forgot maybe it was g2 and so that was pretty cool uh shout out to nitro uh hopefully he's back in action for the world final as well uh okay no what's your what's your shout out uh you know what this time i'll shout out hltv because there's a there's an update coming no no no. i think you guys will, will understand tomorrow when when this post comes out okay okay there's a there's a Probably i mean it's not necessarily a feature but it's like an update uh to something that i'm sure you will you especially both you daps and you alex will be happy about Okay. Okay. That's probably Ooh, live now as you re- watch this, guys. Because no, this is yeah, exactly. Probably coming tomorrow. Yeah. So. Okay. My my brief shout out is just a shout out to to James, uh, Cadian, and Kerrigan okay. for being the three best IGLs in the world and showing that what's more important than individuals is IGLs, and that fits my narrative and my theories perfectly with how I viewed Counter Strike for the last ten years or whatever the fuck I've been talking about Counter Strike. So, uh, yeah, Daps, what's your shout out? Uh, fuck! I didn't. I should have thought of one. Uh, I'll shout out. Uh, I'll shout out Cadian for a good tournament win, and you know that he's went through a fuck ton of shit in his career, and I mean he definitely deserves it. So it's a it's a big win, and shout out to him. Yeah, the only All man right. who breaks equipment when he wins, as opposed to when he loses. That's a <laughs> shout out. <Yeah>. Big one. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, of course, we all want to say thank you, Daps, for coming on the show. Really appreciate your presence. Uh, Really had some great insight there. And I know that you guys are going to be practicing up for the World Finals. So good luck moving forward. Everybody from North America, all of our fate is resting 
on you and <laughs> the uh, you know the twenty complexity fans and the three EG fans. So those are those guys aren't included obviously in this conversation. But yeah, let's go let's go Daps. That's it. All thanks right. for the Patreon. Thanks, thanks for having again. me on the on the show. Appreciate it.